them on the right side of the lead. Totally I want to bounce off the way. I got an open spot. Oh, that's a deep ball on the right field. It is on. It is on. Gearing Studio Complex and straight out of God's country, Pauly's Island, South Carolina, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network proudly presents Backwards K Pod. And now, here's the host of the show, Jake Robinson. Good moment, baseball universe. What is up? It's your boy, Jake the Snake Robinson, back in the Captain Kirk chair. Shields down, photons up. Prepare to engage on this week's digital audio show that I call Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ballplayers and their stories. want to welcome everyone in from my growing Seamhead army. Thank you for giving me a moment in your life to do the thing that I love more than anything, and that's talk baseball. Uh, the seven months I've been doing this show, I've covered over 152 years of baseball. From the beginning of the Braves franchise back in 1871, all the way up to the uh, life and times of the defending American League MVP Shohei Otani. And now I'm kind of working on all those things in between as every Tuesday I come through with that free baseball smoke. No Patreon, no crowdsourcing. My audience with a hat in my hand charging you for the content. All I ask... Is that you follow, subscribe, share, and download, and everything else is going to work itself. It's going to work itself out. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Backwards K Pod is available on all podcast platforms wherever you listen to your pods, or you can visit my website at diamondsnakejake.poppy.com to get this show or really any of the fresh produce that uh, I keep in the cooler back there. Uh, by all means, check it out. Diamond Snake Jake. .podbean.com and you can also find the show on Twitter at back underscore K underscore podcast my personal Twitter profile is at jrobbie and the number one that's jrobbie one and I'm on Facebook I mean I'm all tangled up in the web bro I'm, I'm you know go look for me you'll find me uh, gotta say I was pleasantly surprised about the kind words 
for last week's show. One of the more listened to first week shows that I've ever put out. As, I don't know, the general consensus seemed to be, holy shit, what a backstory with how the United States government demolished three flourishing Mexican-American communities for a failed housing project uh, plan, only to see Mr. O'Malley and the Dodgers swoop in on the 350 acres of land to build Dodgers Stadium. And the second thing I think most people took from it was how the stadium was literally built uh, by moving mountains of earth. I got all kinds of feedback, like Louie in East L.A. He, to- he told me uh, his great-grandfather had built a house in the Palo Verde community that I, that I spoke of with his own two hands, only to see it raised to the ground. Now, when he drives past uh, the row of trees that stands over where his grandfather's house once stood, it, you know, I'm sure you can imagine, it makes him wistfully sad. And he told me, thank you for telling this story, Jake. It should never be forgotten. I never heard your show till this one, and it's very well done. I look forward to hearing more. Thank you, Louie, in East Delight. And, folks, that's why I do this before any dollar amount or feeding my beast of an ego with superlatives. I enjoy the connection with people. When someone says to me, uh, you made me think of my grandfather, and that touches me. And that's what she said. But, look, I also... I got a message from Meg in Burbank, California, who went on to tell me that her grandfather was part of the city's engineering team that built the stadium. He was in charge of surveying the roadways and parking lots, and Mr. O'Malley even gave him a lifetime season pass, which the team honored until his death in 1998. And she sent me all kinds of pics, and I got to tell you, it really remember. It made me really remember how blessed I am to be able to speak to people around the world about this game that we love so much. And it also showed me how we can connect over things and learn about things from one another. And there are so many things in this world that we can disagree on. I mean, that's easy. It's always easier to be negative over positive. But connecting to people and their stories, for me... It has been the biggest thrill of doing this show. You have two totally opposite people with proud perspectives of their grandfather's legacy, but in vastly different ways. And, folks, that fascinates me. They both listened to the same story that I told, and they saw it in a different light, and they both came away proud of their ancestry because of it. And then they relayed those feelings to me. And I'm truly a blessed man. I, I humbly thank each and every one of you in the audience right now. If you want to send the show a message, you can do that by email, backwardskpod at gmail.com. Or, you know, the myriad of social sites that I'm on already. And like I said, I do have some surgery coming up in two weeks. Never fear. I'm the Iron Man of Pods, baby. I'm stacking shows in the can before I even go into the knife. You won't even know I'm not there. My dude Brian Balzino and I, we're going to be setting up an interview with world-renowned baseball artist Greg Kreinler. I can't wait to sit down with Greg and talk about his amazing artwork. I just saw Clemente he did, and I've never seen it before, and it is out of this world. Just a fantastic talent. And next week, I'm going to give you all the particulars for this bonus show event. 
Uh, if you've never seen Greg's work, I highly suggest you get to your Google machine and look him up because uh, his artwork is genius. So, with that being said, I think that's about it. Let's get this train out of the station and move it again as we set our sights this week on Savannah, Georgia. Well, they're basically celebrating the game of baseball, and it's gone viral the, the last few summers down there with this wildly popular Savannah's baseball and their unique brand of the game. And the story of the Savannah Bananas, it all started back in 2014 when Jesse Cole asked his then fiance to marry him on the last day of the baseball season for the team they owned, uh, the Gastonian Grizzlies. In North Carolina. Emily said yes. And they stopped the game for about a half hour. To celebrate their future nuptials. With this grand firework display. So the very next day. Emily wakes up. And she's originally from Savannah, Georgia. She woke up and she said. Wow. That was really the perfect proposal ever. And I want to do something special for you. I want to take you to my hometown, show you around, and there's a beautiful park there named Grayson Stadium, and we'll go and we'll catch a game. So, about a week later, after a great day of touring beautiful Savannah, and I don't know if you've ever been there, but it is gorgeous. They head out to the ballpark on a beautiful 80-degree cool Georgia night, and to their chagrin, the stadium wasn't even half full. And the two of them were like, what a sad, depressing scene for this grand old ballpark that had seen guys like Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Hank Aaron, among others. And now just to see this beautiful building now drifting away in obscurity. So they had a great game. Uh, They had a great time at the game. And later that night, Jesse calls the league commissioner and he tells him, if you ever leave this league, we're coming to Savannah. Well, lo and behold, the Mets, who were the ten- tenants at that time, they had the uh, Savannah Sand Nets, I believe it was the name of that team. And in the minds of most Savanians, they, they wanted, and I hope I said that right, is that Savanians, Savanians? I'm going I'm to go with Savanians, that sounds right. They wanted way too much. The Mets wanted to tear it out and replace Grayson Stadium and build a new crib. And the Savannah natives who lived vicariously through the history of their town, they weren't just willing to fork over tax dollars to placate the Mets. And upon hearing the news, Jesse threw his yellow fedora into the mix and invited the commissioner's office and city officials to come to Gastonia to watch a game. So they go up to North Carolina and they see a fully packed stadium full of madness shenanigans, great baseball, and they quickly invite the young entrepreneurs to Savannah to take over the struggling region. Joe Shorehouse, who works for uh, Savannah Leisure Services, he went on that trip to Gastonia, and he was surprised at the pack house that the Coles presented. He loved the family nature of the atmosphere and the baseball quality Though stocked with college talent, it was on par with high-A minor league baseball. And it was Joe who made the final decision on this to let the Coles bring their brand to Savannah. And many of the people in the baseball community, they were not thrilled with this decision. So after the deal was made between the city of Savannah and the Coles, 
the stark reality begins to set in on Jesse and his wife. There hasn't been baseball fever in these parts for ages. As the historic Grayson Stadium has aged, so has the fan base of this town. And the first day they walk into the stadium after uh, the sale was secured, they were shocked by just the emptiness of the building. No phone lines, chips in the floor, uh, water-soaked tiles in the ceiling. And the city management guy hands over a big-ass ring of keys, and he says, here you go, have one. And then he, 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 gets, he gets out, he leaves. So the Coles and their associates... They begin the process of rolling up their sleeves, setting up a makeshift office in a storage room with a picnic bench and a working phone. And then Jesse begins the arduous task of reaching out one by one with the skeptical fan base of the Savannah community. No one knew who these people were. No one knew what they were about or what was going to make them different than any of the teams that had been there before. And, you know, most people just had this general feeling that the Coles are basically the next people in line here who are guaranteed to fail. So the Coles and their brain trust, they decide they're going to have like this big launch event in November. They invite everyone they knew to the beautiful conference center and only 100 people showed up. The team literally sold only one season ticket package in the first two months they were there. And even the uber-positive Jesse Cole and his wife were warning at this time, boy, oh boy, did we make a mistake buying this team. Going into the winter of 2015, they began to really look dismal as they weren't selling tickets, they weren't selling ads, and no one still had a clue who this college summer team was. Things got so bad that eventually the couple would overdraft their account on payroll and they were completely broke. So they're at a wedding in New Jersey when they get the news news that their payroll uh, was overdraft. And they they sit down with one another and they address the hard facts. What are we going to do? Are we going to quit? Well, quitting is not an option with the Coles here. They double down. They sell their house. They empty out their savings accounts. They bought an air mattress to sleep on. And they moved to Savannah. And, you know, they went all in like Doyle Brunson. On February 25th, their fortunes would begin to change when they officially named the team the Bananas. So... They ran like this local contest where the fans, you know, you get to pick your team name, even though they really had no fans except for literally a handful of season ticket holders. And the names started rolling in, right? The Captains, the Pickles, the Ghosts, the Spectres, the To-Go Cups. Well, one person put in bananas and it caught fire with that, uh, you know, with the Colts. And we all know that the Bananas won that contest. And honestly, you know, you think about it now, what a great name, right? But the reviews on the names were originally mixed. And much of the community, they they really weren't feeling it. But Jesse and his wife, they had a vision for the team. And they were not going to be deterred by these skeptics. The Coles are now sleeping on an air mattress. They're all in. They literally have to make this work. But how? How? Well, right up the rip. Thinking outside the box with the team name. 
is how you start. And once the name was officially released and social media, it lit up like a Christmas tree. All over Twitter and Facebook, the name Bananas was literally creating uh, this visceral reaction. Some loved it and thought it was great, but many of the people of Savannah were complaining. And they even called it an insult to the city, saying that the Coles were embarrassing the city, and they should be thrown out on their asses. And even though the reviews were mixed, Jesse was ecstatic that people were at least talking about his team now. Team now. And Cybo here, one of the things I've noticed about Jesse is he has tremendous confidence in himself, even when no one else in the world except for maybe his wife does. Number two, he is a true promoter, meaning he can take good press and bad press and make something out of it. Because in his mind, all press is great press. And that's a lesson to learn when they only you know sold one season ticket package after two months of being there. That lesson was magnified after naming the team. The national sports media, they're now jumping in on the Bananas name, and the local press was crushing this decision. But in Jesse's mind, at least they're talking about us. After a while, the local media and civic leaders began to figure out, you know, these guys, they might be geniuses. They literally have every single person in the city of Savannah talking about their baseball team. And that's not an exaggeration. That baseball team, once they got the name, it had literally gripped Savannah's conscience. And the team has used the technology of the day, whether it's mass media like ESPN or YouTube or social media to get their brand out there. Within 10 minutes of naming the team, they were trending. And they were selling merch around the world. And honestly, folks, they haven't slowed down one iota since. Then they developed a logo. And that took off like wildfire. Next, they showed up to schools with their uh, bananas mascot, the King of Potassium, Splits. And the kids loved them. And that was followed by marketing campaigns. And before you know it, this little snowball that had been rolling down the hill was picking up more snow and speed, and it was now the size of Savannah itself. On opening day, 2016, Jesse and his wife showed up at the stadium in the morning for the 7 o'clock p.m. start. And the local media and small crowd of people that had already gathered outside the park in the parking lot The game was already sold out, and Jesse recalls that it was a roller coaster of a day. The gates opened at 5.30 p.m., and a little after that, it it began to rain buckets of water over Savannah. People looking to stay dry began rushing the stadium, and not knowing exactly what to do to keep this very first crowd in the stadium, he decided to do an all-you-can-eat special for the 4,000 spectators, and that's just genius. I mean, promise me limitless food, limitless food, and I'm there, dude, till the very end. And Jesse admits there were many disastrous small fires he had to put out that opening day. But as the skies began to clear and he walked out onto the field, he looked into the stands and it was still completely packed an hour and a half after the scheduled first pitch. 
and then the Bananas took the field and probably played one of the worst games as a team uh, in the history of the franchise. And the, and the history, the historic ball yard was still stacked to the Raptors, even though they were horrible in that first game. And Jesse knew he was on to something. And I can only imagine what was running through his mind as he literally bet on himself and his wife when most people would have looked for a way out. I mean, just an unbelievable inspiration this couple is for me. Jesse, who fittingly always wears a uh, yellow tuxedo with a yellow fedora, and you can see him always hyping the crowd at games. For me, he's like a hybrid mix of Vince McMahon and Bill Beck, you know, because of his fearless promotion style, and he's got a lot of flavor flame, the best hype man who ever lived in him. He is nonstop frenetic energy, and he makes every day in that stadium opening day for the fans. From that day on, the Bananas, they sold out the stadium pretty much every game. I I don't think they've ever played a game where it wasn't sold out. I know that during COVID, that was a little bit, you know, tougher, but I think they still sold out all the tickets they could sell for those games. And the locals there, it's... They say it's almost like having a Disney World in your backyard. A place where all of Savannah comes together for one thing. To watch Banana Bowl. When the Coles arrived, all they heard was excuses from the naysayers. Baseball won't work here. It's too hot. Too many Little League games going on at the time of the year. But Jesse and his wife and her henchmen, they, they flip that, that, that horse crap right out the door. Of course baseball will work in Savannah. The product on the field was pretty good as well. As you know, even though they had that awful opening day show, and they, they wanted up winning the Coastal Plain League Championship that first summer. And some people may think, well, that's a little fluky or whatever. But the truth is, when you're playing in front of packed, rambunctious, and loud cribs night after night, it only helps your team perform better. It's been the sheer essence of baseball since the beginning. Of the great game. And it has almost become this circus going on in a town and a baseball game just happens to kind of break out while you're there. You always have these funny distractions between innings, whether it's honoring the banana baby of the game where they dress an infant or a toddler up in a banana suit, and they present him or her to the crowd at home plate, Lion King style, with players kneeling around the child. They have their own Richard Simmons who comes out in short shorts and a tank top and he leads these shirtless players in exercises that involve, you know, a lot of hip thrusting and booty slapping. Some players, you know, they, they, they got their march, their, their, their walk-up tunes and they got the banana, uh, banana marching band leading them to the Platon song. They even have their own senior citizen over 60-year-old dance crew called the Banana Nanas. And they're pretty good, man. I'm going to tell you, they're pretty... They're, well, look, they're uh, they're entertaining, for sure. Not to mention, you know, Jesse's running around like a madman in the crowd, hyping the crowd. It amazes me how in a sea of yellow you can always see Jesse. You got guys playing on stilts, dancing umpires, kills for uniforms. I mean, nothing is out of bounds or over the top for the Savannah Bananas. 
They've also developed like their own little uh, rival team. Much, you know, like the Harlem Globetrotters have the Washington Generals. Well, the Bananas have the party animals who have kind of become part of the show. And Jesse, he just decided to color outside the boxes. What can he do to take this, uh, you know, the boring things out of baseball and in that place install excitement? He began making the team part of the show. There are, like, you know, dance-offs between players. Literally one could break out at any minute. The first base coach, Darius Johnson, is the world's first breakdancing coach. I mean, who doesn't want to see that? Like college football teams or the uh, commanders and the Ravens in the NFL, the Bananas have their own prep band, pet band that sits in the crowd and also performs on the field to keep the crowd dancing and pumped. Never one to rest in their laurels. The Bananas Brain Trust is probably sitting at a table right now figuring out how to promote their brand of baseball and entertainment. And if there was ever a book of marketing out there, the Coles, they took that book, ripped it up, and started a new one in yellow crayon. And I am in total awe as someone who is always trying to market myself out and my brand. It's true. These guys truly may be geniuses. Now, some of you may not have noticed I keep saying they're brand of ball. And the Bananas literally have their own brand of baseball that they play. When they are at historic Grayson Stadium, they have a, a set of rules that they follow. And Ollie, their brand is both an acceptance of baseball and a rejection at the same time. Jesse was once a coach for a Cape Cod team with some of the most exciting young talent around him, guys like Garrett Richardson and Josh Harrison. But he would catch himself being bored sometimes. For his team, even though the Bananas are a Woodbat Summer College League team, his players are given tryouts to make the squad that emphasizes entertainment as much as the player's ability. They have a bat flip and dance competitions during these tryouts. And in order to speed the game up in Jesse's mind, he had to take all the boring things about baseball and interject a few rules of his own, thus spawning the banana ball rules that are played in Grayson Stadium. Number one, every inning counts. Think like uh, tennis match play. If you score more runs than the opposing team in an inning, you win that inning. You win one point. The first team to win five innings wins the game, or whoever wins the most innings in the end of nine, or time. And only the Bananas can have walk-offs in every inning, as they are the home team, of course. Number two, you heard me right. This brand of ball has a clock. All games are to be played in a two-hour or less span. No new inning will start. After an hour and 50 minutes. Rule number three. No stepping out of the batter's box to do some, you know, cockamamie, no more Garcia Parra, fiddling with your batting gloves, or Mikey Hargrove stretching and adjusting his nut holders. You step out of the box, it's a strike. Number four. And I love this one as an A.L. East resident. No bunting. 
No one wants to watch that horse shit. If you punt, you're thrown out of the game. And you can sit in the clubhouse in shame and think about your actions. No punting. I love it. Number five. Batters can steal first base if a pass ball or a wild pitch occurs on any part of the count. You will always have, like, this craftiness at your disposal should it become apropos. So if there's a wild pitch, pass ball, boom, you can steal first base. Any count. Rule number six. Now, if a pitcher throws ball four, the batter immediately takes off, and every fielder besides the catcher and pitcher who have already touched the ball, every fielder has to touch the ball before you can attempt to get that runner out. And I've seen various tactics how to get the ball around the diamond, hopefully... You know, meet the base runner at the right base. Uh, a lot of times I see them going, the catcher will throw down at first, he'll throw out the right field, who throws the second base, center field, shortstop, left field, third base, they're trying to get the guy coming into third base. It is pretty exciting. Uh, no walks. You, you're, it's actually a run. You, you're, but without scoring a run, it's a run. you got to run until you can't anymore. But that's pretty crazy. Uh and that is rule number six. Rule number seven, the one-on-one tiebreaker. In the end of a tie, you know, if the game is a tie in the end, 3-3, not everybody scores every inning, so sometimes that happens. Uh, each team gets to pick a pitcher and a hitter to face off. Now, the defensive team is allowed a pitcher, a catcher, and a fielder anywhere in the infield. If the batter is walked, he is awarded second base, and the offensive team gets another hitter. If the ball is put into play, that batter has to score. Anything less than scoring is an out. It's coming up short. So the roaming infielder has to get the ball home before the batter can score. And if the batter strikes out, that's the end of their chance. Uh, rule number eight, no mound visits. Not by pitchers, not by the coach, or any player on the field. No mound visits. And last but not least, probably my favorite rule in banana ball. If a fan catches a foul ball, it's an out. So, look, Steve Bartman, keep your head on a swivel, know the game, know who you're rooting for, and don't be catching banana foul balls. Right? That's a crazy rule. Banana Ball is, you know, it's surely paying off for the Coles of the city of Savannah as they have sold out every single game they have ever played in historic Grayson Stadium. The fans can't get enough, and the players really look like they are enjoying themselves. It's, you know, a mishmash of the circus and the king in his court, which we covered here at Backwards K-Pod. I, look, I would have loved to see Eddie Fainer get together with these guys. The king in the court and the Savannah Bananas? That's a promoter's wet dream. And if you haven't heard the king in his court and Eddie Fainer, you can hit that at diamondsnakejake.poppy.com or in the archives of any of your uh, podcast platforms that you use to listen to this. The banana ball brand is baseball-like, but you are prone to enjoy it more if you don't really think of it as baseball. As I said, it is both the acceptance and the rejection of the national pastime. Some radical baseball purists may not accept it, but the Coles, admittedly, they're not marketing to them. 
personally, I consider myself a baseball purist, and I love it. I think it's great for the game, and I believe that it has made the city of Savannah a more communal and tribal destination spot for the summer tours. And I think, folks, that's where I'm going to end it. I want to thank the Bananas PR guy, Zach Frangillo. I hope I didn't butcher your name. I want to thank him for giving me some uh, useful research materials. I really appreciated that. Um, if you want to learn more about this fascinating team, you can go to SavannahBananas.com. They have the history of the team, their mission statement, as well as their schedules and promotions, with when they may be headed your way if you live in the southeastern part of the country. Thankfully, I live in God's country, Paulie's Island, South Kakalaki. And when they come to Florence, I'll be checking them out myself. You can find more on them on YouTube. And honestly, Jesse Cole has become one of my heroes. That dude knows how to promote. And I'll be following his story intently in the future in hopes of learning something from him. People like him, they inspire me to keep going. So I hope you guys enjoyed this week's show. And the train rolls on. I love talking players and their journey to the majors. Well, next week's topic. It's probably one of the most remarkable journeys to the show. When legendary baseball manager Billy Martin found him in prison. Next week... Well, we, we will be talking about Ron LaFleur. But look, that's another story for another pod. Here at Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ballplayers and their stories. Parents, if you see your kids sitting on the couch looking bored AF, by all means, take him or her outside and play a game of catch. Thank you all for stopping by for our shortstop pod this week. God bless and win the day.